Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to Isaiah 9. Isaiah was a prophet. Isaiah was a prophet in the Old Testament. He was in Judah, the southern kingdom. And he preached and prophesied for 52 years. He prophesied during the reign of four kings. He prophesied about 750 B.C., So since we say Christ was born around year zero, that that was 750 years before Jesus was born. That was 750 years before any of this plan was brought about. And Isaiah was prophesying judgment against various factions in Israel because they had become selfish, they had become self-serving, They were doing things for their own profit. They were doing things for their own glory and not for God's. And so Isaiah was sent and in the middle of all this prophecy and judgment, we come to Isaiah 9, 6, where he's talking about armies coming in and he's talking about burdens and difficulties and harvests not working and all this judgment of God that is going to come on the people of Jerusalem. And then he says, For to us, us being Israel, a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so I thought during this Christmas day, we would just have a little reminder of who it was that was actually born on that first Christmas day. If we look at this, it says, For unto us a child is born. The us is Israel. So Israel is going to have a child, and that child is going to be a son. So the son is going to, the child is going to be a male. And if you look at this, the logic is, if there's a child and it's a son, that son is going to have a father. And so we can take these sorts of things and superimpose them on the Gospels and say, ah, that's Jesus, we know that. But back then, it was more of a difficult thing for them to understand. It was more of a difficult thing for them to say a child is going to do these things. And then it says a government shall be upon his shoulders. In other words, he will be a ruler. He will be a uh, dynasty king. He will be born into royalty. And when it says the government shall be upon his shoulders, it's going to be a singular ruler. There is not going to be a parliament. There is not going to be a congress. There is going to be a singular ruler 
And this child is going to grow up in such a way that he is going to support and run the entire government. It will be a singular burden, if you will. He will get up in the morning and go to bed at night without having any help running the government. And the next section is interesting. It says, His name shall be called, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. In Hebrew, this is a sort of Hebrew poem. And these are couplets of nouns. Now, we don't put two nouns together in English very well. And so when this is translated into English, they always turn the first noun into an adjective, okay, to describe the second noun. But if you were reading Hebrew and Hebrew was fluent to you, you would come to this and you would stop because the sentence structure disappears and it's just this list of couplet, 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 noun, 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 no verbs, no adverbs, no adjectives, just title, 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 all jammed together and it would cause you to stop if you were a Hebrew speed reader, for example, <coughs> you get to the, that and you go, uh, what? Because it would break your stride, because it's unusual, because it is a different way of speaking. It's very much like if you're reading a book and you come to a sentence that's all capitals or something like that, you stop and pay attention that the author is saying something here that we need to understand. And so as we look at this, we will say what it means, but the the pow of it, the punch of it, is very difficult to see in any language except ancient Hebrew. And so it says, wonderful counselor. The counselor is the main point. When you look at kings today, you look at our president, you look at presidents here and presidents there and kings, they will always have counselors around them, even when you had in the time of Isaiah, you had kings on the throne in Jerusalem. They always had a variety of counselors, and there are stories in the Bible of good counselors and bad counselors, of counselors that give very self-serving answers, or counselors that give very community-oriented answers. Jesus will have no such counselors. In fact, he will be the counselor to the nation. So when Jesus sits on the throne, he never asks anybody, what do they think? He never asks anybody, what is their opinion? He never asks anybody to look up a report and summarize it for them. He never asks anybody to do any sort of thing for him because he is fully capable of doing it all himself. So he is the counselor, and he's the counselor when he finally gets on his throne. He will be the counselor of the world. The people will go to Jesus to get counsel. People will go to Jesus to get information. People will go to Jesus not to tell him anything, 
not to tell him what he missed, not to tell him that he needs to consider this other thing. They will go and Jesus will counsel them and he will be the counselor of the world. And when you look at the modifier of wonderful, it means, uh, it means dedicated, true, it means honest, it means Jesus is not going to guess. Jesus, when he speaks his information, it is absolutely true and it cannot be challenged. This child shall also be mighty God. And when we look at Jesus and the information that came in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, we say, is in fact God incarnate from eternity past. Jesus was in the Trinity. Jesus was God the Son. Jesus was and is totally and absolutely God, and there's nothing, and I mean nothing, that he cannot do, that he cannot know, that he cannot bring about in his rule. That when you think of a king or a president or a congress or a parliament, you sometimes scratch your head wondering if they really know what's going on in the world, if they're doing the right thing, or if they're doing anything at all, you don't have those questions. When Jesus is on the throne, he will be and is God incarnate for all of eternity. You will see him on the throne and you will see him functioning and acting and doing what God does. And the idea of having a ruler and having a king who is God incarnate. And then you look at, well, what does the Bible say about God? Well, as we talked about last week, it says God is love. And so Jesus is love. Jesus will rule with a hand of love, Jesus will rule with a hand of compassion, knowing what his people need and not being limited in able to do it. The third one raises some questions because we are Trinitarians and we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And, you know, never the twain shall meet, as it were. But it says that this child shall be everlasting father. And I've read books where people have said, well, I don't know that that really says what it says, because to call Jesus the father is mixing up your trinity. But what does this mean? Well, there's some possibilities. First of all, there was an idiom. And there is an idiom in Hebrew lore of this is a name for Messiah. There are still many, many Jews who are waiting for Messiah to come. They missed Jesus, so they're waiting for Messiah to come. And in their poems and in their songs and in their readings, they call him Everlasting Father because Messiah is supposed to have, in their view, a godliness, an impact of God that has been forever 
that God being eternal, he kind of puts that on Messiah. And that Messiah will guide people and raise people and instruct people like a father. And so it is kind of a poetic idiom, even in modern uh, Judaism, to call Messiah everlasting father. It has nothing to do with the Trinity, because they don't believe in the Trinity. It has nothing to do with you know, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The second is, Jesus Christ is fully and completely God, so he is eternal. He is everlasting. We call the Christmas season an Advent season, and the Advent is a word that means uh, intermission. We see that from the uh, you know, beginning of time, for time ever, you know, before the foundation of the world, so to, so to speak, the idea that Jesus has been there. Jesus has been with the Father, with the Spirit, as the Son for all eternity. And then he, you know, curtain closed, opened it up, and Jesus was born. And you have this 33, 35 year intermission where Jesus is functioning in the world. And then he ascends again, and the curtain closes, open back up, and the world operation is back to normal, and so the idea that Jesus is everlasting is not a question. We can clearly see that from Scripture, and to be the Father, we can see throughout Scripture that Jesus does, you know, the jobs that the Trinity does is they kind of get mixed up. We say, well, the Father only does this, and the Son only does this. That isn't really true according to Scripture. God is God. God will do what God does. And so in the eyes of the Jewish people writing this, Jesus functioning as God the Father is not far-fetched. You're going to see, you know, when people saw Jesus do things, they said, only God can do that. And when they say that, what are they thinking? They're thinking, well, the God of the Old Testament that we would call God the Father. And the third is, Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David. That was a promise given to David. David, as David's kingdom was being handed over to Solomon, God the Father said to David that your throne would be an eternal throne, that there would always be somebody sitting on the throne. Now we're in an intermission from that. When Israel kind of fell apart and then came back as a parliamentary system, they don't have a king sitting on a throne. But when Jesus comes back and he sits on a throne, you can look at the label on that throne and it's going to say the throne of David. Okay, so the dynasty of David is taking a little break. But when Jesus comes back, he will bring it back and he will sit on the dynastic throne of David for all eternity. Now, if you go to a country that has a king, if you go to a country that has a somewhat benevolent king, if you look at ancient history where all we had was kings, it was very common to call the king your father. It was very common to look at 
the blessings that came from a benevolent king as the blessings from a father, okay? We don't have that. I don't consider the president my father, okay? But there are places where all the wealth of a country came through the king that he was considered a father. He was considered the father of all your blessings, of your job, of things like that. And since the throne of David is going to last forever, you can get the poetry of everlasting father. The, th the fourth one is Prince of Peace. Now, there's two ways to look at peace. You can have a peaceful guy on the throne. You could look at somebody and go, boy, he's very peaceful. And you could look at... Uh, the impact of that, the other way is you have a king, you have a prince who doesn't bring the country into war. There are people in the world, and you can see them on the news, who, who regularly feel that invading this country is a good idea or increasing the land is a good idea that way, World War II in Europe was started because the Germans through Hitler wanted to expand their land, wanted more farmland as their population was growing, and so they invaded other countries to take land, and then war resulted. And so if you have a peaceful king and a peaceful country, then you're not invading anybody, they're not invading you, that there is a, you are living in peace. And if you're living in a country where you're not thinking about an invasion or where you're not thinking about bombs going off, as we have had here for quite a long time, we are living at peace. We, you know, we dare people to invade us and we don't invade other people. And so... We kind of have a strength in America. But if you're in Ukraine, you're, you wouldn't consider yourself in a peaceful country because bombs are going off and it's a difficult place and that is not the only place in the world where that is happening today. And so if you have a ruler who is ruling in peace, then there's not going to be any... Uh, Wars, invasions, difficulties, the people of that country, the people of that place will be at peace. And when we finally get Jesus on the throne, the security that you will feel that you cannot be challenged, nobody is going to invade heaven, nobody is going to send missiles against the kingdom of God. Nobody is going to do anything to disrupt the peace that we have when Jesus is on the throne. Then if you get to verse 7, the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And what this literally means is, for all of eternity, the size of Jesus' government will always be increasing. And people look at that and go, what does that mean? Then they have to say, I don't know. Because we don't know. We don't know how Jesus is going to do this. We see this 
you know, we see America or our town as the limits of, you know, a government. But Jesus is the ruler of the entire universe and every other universe if there's more than one universe. And people have said, well, perhaps he will continue to increase his rule on other planets or other galaxies. We don't know, but there's a possibility. The idea that Jesus is just going to stop with us is, you know, some people say that's unacceptable. But also the increase of his peace, and when you have perfect peace, it's kind of difficult to imagine better peace. But as Jesus rules, and as we sit under Jesus' rule, his peace will grow and grow and grow and grow and grow, such that it is we cannot imagine it. We cannot even imagine peace today, but yet to, to see peace that tomorrow is going to be more peaceful than today. And it says, On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it. And this is the other prophecy, and the prophecy is throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that the throne Jesus will sit on is the throne of David. Jesus is a genetic descendant of David. And when he comes back and sits on the throne, it will be David's throne. Now, when you read about David, David brought peace to Israel. David brought um, more godliness to Israel than any other king. He was called a man after God's own heart. So it would be great to have a king who's after God's own heart and not after some other heart. The idea that it has value in the Jewish mind and in our mind that it's David's throne because David was seen as a great king. You know, you go to Israel and there's King David Boulevard, there's not King Manasseh Boulevard. You know, King David was understood to be a great time in Jewish history. And he says to establish it and uphold it, Jesus by his power is going to keep the kingdom going. And as you, you can't even imagine, can anybody stand against Jesus? Can you know, anybody from some big country start shooting miss missiles at Jesus. No, that's not going to happen. He's going to establish and uphold it with justice and righteousness. And when you think of the kings we have today, the governments that we have today, it's very difficult to put righteousness as a label upon them. It's very difficult to put true justice as a label upon them. We seem to have lost as a human race what true justice and righteousness is. We want to do things to advance our own stuff, to advance our own position, to put me above you sort of thing is how America is turning up. And then if I can't you know, if you don't believe like I do, well, then I can't even talk to you, that we have to divide. And if you're dividing and don't have consistent rule 
It cannot be righteousness and justice because righteousness and justice are now defined by my side and my beliefs and not God's. And if God is doing something and it's truly righteous, then it's truly righteous. No one will be able to find anything wrong with it. Nobody will be able to correct it because it is truly righteous. From this time forth and forevermore, Jesus' kingdom is going to last forever. Then it says the zeal of the Lord will do this. Zeal is strong emotional response. If I am zealous for something, I'm all in. And if you think of God being all in on something, and just ponder that for a little bit, when God goes all in, that's a lot, and God is all in. He is risking his reputation. He is risking everything he has on setting up a new kingdom with Jesus Christ on the throne. It is God's plan. When we look at God's plan and God's thought, somebody says, well, what's God doing? Well, this is what God's doing. He's going to be setting up a kingdom with Jesus on the throne, and it's going to last forever. And that is all in from God. And so 750 years ago, before Jesus, somebody said all these things were going to happen with Jesus. And then Jesus came, and God's eternal plan became visible to us. And then Jesus ascended. And if we look at this, and we look at the New Testament, we see that God is doing one thing. And that is he is moving the world toward a place where those who believe will be taken to the new heaven and the new earth. Those who do not believe will be taken to the lake of fire. And the new heaven and the new earth, it says in the book of Revelation, that it won't need a sun. It might have a sun. But it won't need a sun because Jesus is going to shine. And Jesus is going to shine in the throne room and you're going to be able to see the shine of Jesus no matter where you are in the huge new Jerusalem. And in that kingdom you shall have peace and righteousness and justice and it will be the most perfect existence that you've ever had. And that is what we celebrate at Christmas, is eventually, any day now, Jesus Christ is returning to set all this up. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, we praise you for your eternal throne. We praise you that you are moving things forward in such a way that no one will ever be able to stop you that you are moving things toward a new heaven and a new earth. And I just pray that we would be, that we would be able to be in it, that we would look for you, that we would follow you, that we would do everything that you've commanded us to do so that we can live eternity with you. Lord, we praise you for that. 
and ask your blessing upon this Christmas day and upon the new year. Ask all this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.